Talking recruiting, Texas Longhorn recruiting specifically with John Garcia, Director of Football Recruiting at Sports Illustrated here on Locked On Longhorns. You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show, Jonathan Davis, your host, John Garcia, Director of Football Recruiting at Sports Illustrated, joining me once again. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn, joining me to talk recruiting as always. John, I have a question for you. I hope you have an answer. So a year ago at this time, Jalen Hill, receiver out of East Texas, was rated as the 16th best player in the country. A year ago at this time, he got as high as the 12th best player overall, not wide receiver, overall in the country. Last season, he has 50 catches <laughs> for 1,154 yards I know what and you're 14 to touchdowns. <laughs> and now he's ranked 59th. So how did Jalen Hale go from the 12th best player in the country to the 59th best player in the country after 50 catches for 1,100 yards and 14 touchdowns. Am I missing something? No, you're not. Uh, look, a, a lot of, and I, obviously I'm not speaking for any uh, recruiting outlet out there. I know uh, a lot goes into these rankings. They change. It's, it's been a big topic the last week or so, it, it feels like. Um, and, and look, a, a lot of factors go into that. I, I think there is, I talked about this recently uh, about Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, there's like an over-scouting element of scouting we can see a kid too much and when the more you see a kid the, the the better you feel about his ability but there's also more time to see maybe some holes and some things that maybe stick with you negatively i'm not saying that's exactly what happened with Jalen hell but when you're a three four year guy that everyone knows about for such a long time there's just enough time to poke an easy hole in it compared to the late emerging recruit from the middle of nowhere who in the last three months has become this recruiting darling. It's easier to lift him up than the guy you've seen for you know, 10, 12 different events. Um, so I do think that's a big part of it. Certainly as the cycle stretches and we get closer to these senior seasons, other prospects emerge, right? And they, they kind of overtake, especially relative to their position, right? So if a quarterback, an offensive tackle, a corner, guys at those position, a pass rusher, those guys start to rise, easier to prop them up to the 10th degree because they play a premium position, right? So that's where I think at wide receiver, you're a little bit, you know, under the, the benefit of the doubt line there as well. So th there are different factors is my long roundabout way of saying how it happens. I'm not saying it should have happened. But let, let me make that very clear. Like you said, um, the athleticism, the frame, the playmaking ability has always been there. The production matched it in 2021. I think that's like 23, 24 yards a catch. So Certainly not. You couldn't ask for more. Right. You couldn't ask for more than that. He's going up and making plays. He's running by guys. Um, I think he's doing all he can to be an elite All-American type of recruit. I think he's closer to that, that initial ranking relative to the rest of the country. I think he's a top four or five receiver uh, that I've seen to date. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's going to be a lot closer to that initial number when our rankings come out in August. There you go. Okay, shameless plug. Look, if I told Jalen Hill that 
he was going to go from 12th to 59th after a 50 catch for 11, 54 yards and 14 touchdowns. He might have just opted out. He might have been better off opted out. They might have left him up at 12th or something. Uh, you talked about uh, the, the frame, the athleticism, his ability to win contested catches, also his ability uh, to run past people. He's really, you know, looks like could be a complete prospect at the wide receiver position. I don't know how he dropped 40 spots. I'm just going to keep sneak dissing <laughs> the rankings I looked at earlier. Well, who's your player comp for a Jalen Hill? And I, I need to mention the context for this. Texas is in his top three schools. If you haven't seen Texas, Alabama, and Georgia, for those who don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This, this kid's going to play high profile ball. He's got the Arch Manning final three, right? So that's, <laughs> that's forever going to be the Arch Manning uh, group of schools. Uh, so we'll see how that goes, but yeah, no matter where he goes, this is, this is an alpha. Uh, there's really no other way to put it. Uh, I see some T Higgins. That, that, that's the first name that popped in my head. Longer basketball frame. But then you watch him and you're like, oh, no, he just happens to play basketball. Like this is a legitimate wide receiver. There's route running polish. He catches the ball away from his body. He wins contested battles or he could run by you. So kind of the he's kind of the conventional wide receiver one right nowadays that that moniker is skewed because these smaller, shiftier guys are, are just as productive, and that, that certainly is, is legitimate. But 10 years ago, Jalen Hale is, is that wide receiver. He is that kind of Julio Jones, T. Higgins, taller, leaner, but, but still physical and explosive wide receiver prospects that you can build an entire offense around. I think he, he could fit in any era. Uh, but, but man, he's, he's just got sauce. I mean, he's just a playmaker. I think what we get, again, we start ranking the traits and, okay, well, for receiver, this is the most important. And then it's this and this and this. This kid can play. He's not second tier in any of those other traits that you get to. And he's going to fill out. So he's going to look a little bit more uh, physically built. He's going to look a little more like Andre Johnson by the time, you know, he's, he's at the collegiate and eventually maybe – the highest level. Uh, so right now he looks a little bit more like T Higgins, but I think he could fill out and, and become physically uh, one of those complete prospects as well. That's really the only hole you could poke in his game at, at this stage is yeah, he's a teenager. So he needs to pack on some, some bulk, but, but that will come. I love that comp of T Higgins. And I also love, you know, the possibility of him lining up next to a Jonte cook next to a, a Jonah Wilson, next to a Ryan Niblett being thrown the ball to by Arch Manning, right? That all sounds crazy. Uh, we talked about last time you came on uh, Kyle Flood and what he's been able to do with these last two recruiting classes uh, so far, bringing in 11 offensive linemen. I think six of them thus far are seven are blue chips. Uh, so he's done a hell of a job. You mentioned that he may be recruiting um, better than any position coach or school at that offensive line position. Well, he went out and targeted another hashtag big human Miles McVay out of the fake St. Louis in Illinois, not the real Lou, you know what I'm saying? Not the three one four. Um, but <laughs> 6'6", 358 pounds, but Texas was late to the party. They just offered him on June 28th. You could talk about the player if you want to, but I want to ask from a school's perspective, is there any advantage to coming in so late? Because, I mean, he's he's announcing his commitment on August 11th. I mean, you're coming in less than a month and a half away from his commitment and, and extending an offer. Is there any benefit to that, or is it just to throw it out there just in case? Like, like what's the benefit of offering somebody – who's been in this recruitment process so long, a month before they commit. You better be a needle-moving program if you're coming in that late. You better have have rings or, or look like a team that's about to have rings. And I think Texas, certainly buzz-wise, is becoming one of those offers where when kids get it, especially now after this whole arch run that we've seen, 
kids are double taken at it. Even kids from Illinois, like, like Miles McVeigh. Um, and look, like you said, Kyle Flood stands alone at that position right now. Uh, and I think any offensive offer right now for Texas, those kids are going to consider it. You know, if you talk about maximizing your value, your profile, all those things, Texas is going to have more appeal today than 30 days ago. I mean, it just, it just, it's business. It just is what it is. So I think that resonates with, with prospects at every single position, but particularly those on offense. Now, what's interesting about him is, like you said, August 11th is the commitment date, but he only took three official visits. So there's still not room for more officials because you can't take them at the end of July, but there's room to get to more schools before that decision comes in. So if I'm Texas and I really want Miles McVeigh, I need him to visit at some point. I don't think I'd have to check again. I don't think there's a visit of record, even unofficially, for him uh, at the University of Texas. I could be wrong there, but if that is true, you got to get him to campus before he commits. I mean, it's just, it's really as simple as that. If you do, you got a shot. If you don't, probably not. But again, the type of schools that win recruitments, even without a visit, which is so rare, are those needle moving programs because there's just a benefit of the doubt that comes along with them. So Texas needs to bring that on the field, but off the field and certainly this off season, there's right now it's, it's the summer of Texas. Nobody has the buzz Texas has. Miami's close. Uh, I think Florida's done a good job lately. Notre Dame is red hot still. They've been hot for like a year, it feels like. All these programs are kind of in that conversation, but the run Texas is on, particularly on offense, where we talked about this is probably going to be the top offensive class in the country, it's hard It's hard to overlook that. So I, I still think it holds weight, but, yeah, you would certainly like a visit if you could before all is said and done. And, and like you said, this is if there's one position and one coach on that Texas staff that you're like, hey – go get a guy like right now, you probably send Kyle Flood first uh, out of that group. Um, although there's a, there's a lot of good candidates uh, for sure. Yeah, you know, we're a little late in the game, so I'm just going to take the Texas A&M approach and say, hey, Miles, you can make 50K a year, you know, as an offensive lineman at the University of Texas. So we know <laughs> we'll just take the Texas A&M approach and cut to the chase. All right, Mikhail Harrison, pilot, a very interesting athlete. It seems like he does everything on the football field besides coach. I mean, he plays every position on the field, it looks like. All right. Sources smarter than me say that he would prefer to play wide receiver at the next level. But I know a lot of schools value him as a defensive player, particularly a safety, possibly even Texas. Where do you think he fits the best on the football field? I think his ceiling is on defense 100 percent. He's a good receiver. I've seen him work out in person at wide receiver. And there's a lot there. I mean, he's got a good frame, uh, really quick out of his breaks. And there's a little bit of polish there, too. I think he's a tier two to three receiver, I think he's a tier one to two safety. And I think that's really what, what it comes down to. It's it's like these kids that are navigating two sports. It's like, where am I best? Where, where do I have the most value? We just talked about value and, and, and what Texas could bring. Where do I have the most value? And look, if, if it is Texas, which look, we think this is a Texas recruit right now. I mean, this is they're the favorite, right? I think that's that's not like breaking news. If you want to go to Texas today and you're looking at, you just mentioned the names, Jonte Cook, Niblet, the all these transfers that came in, uh, Jalen Hell might be in the boat too. When you start to look at those guys, even if you are confident in your wide receiver ability, but you have that other that other position available, business wise, again we're talking we're talking mature stuff today. Business wise, 
probably a little smarter for you to go on the other side of the ball. There's a little bit more playing time available and a bigger need for Texas right now would, would certainly be uh, on defense in general, but certainly in the secondary where you can't have enough good players with length and ball skills and range and a strong football IQ uh, like we see with with Harrison Pilot. And I should say something about his work ethic. I was at a, an Elite 11 regional in Dallas. It was 4 million degrees that day, uh, legitimately. And these receivers are run ragged at these events. I mean, these quarterbacks are throwing like 400 balls each. It's like a four-hour workout, middle of the day. These receivers, an hour and a half, two hours in, starting to drop, right? Pulling, pulling hammies, just laying down, throwing up, the whole thing. I think at that Dallas Elite 11 Regional, Harrison Pilot took the most reps of any wide receiver, and he was probably the most high-profile pass catcher there. So I think that says a lot about the, the kid and his mentality, which, again, all things even, give me that guy on defense, you know, that guy, that worker. Give me that guy in the secondary to get my other guys uh, up and, and, and ready to go for for whatever it is, a workout, a, a practice, or, or even a game itself. So I, I like him on and off the field after, after that showing because I was ready to tap out, and I was just standing there with the camera filming. Yeah, I've watched some of his interviews. Definitely uh, the type of player you want in your program, whether it's on offense or defense. But you also talked about, you know, it's tough to get on the field, you know, especially at a program like Texas. And if there's a clearer path at safety, and most people feel you project better at safety, then the answer may be at safety. I know you're all tired of hearing about the offense. We're going to talk a little bit about some defensive prospects after a word from our newest sponsor in LinkedIn. As the sun comes out and small businesses are back in business, LinkedIn jobs make it easier to grow your team. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the people you want to interview faster and for free create a free job in minutes on linkedin jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people linkedin jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster did you know every week nearly nearly 40 million job seekers visit linkedin post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college that's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions apply find a lot of jobs on there except for my job and john garcia's job all right the offensive line has been a concern, but what may be more of a concern for this Texas Longhorn football team is the pass rush. Now, Texas is keyed in on three top 200 players at the defensive end slash edge position. And we got a lot of uh, word of mouth recruiting going on here. So the first one I want you to talk about is Hunter Osborne out of Hewitt Truesville in Alabama, who just happens to be the former teammate of current Texas Longhorn player Justice Fink. Yeah, well, I was I was at a Hewitt Trustful game last year and uh, pregame. I was certainly watching the D line because they had Finkley and they had Hunter Osborne, which, you know, from from the, the old school look test that, that coaches used to talk about, about as good as it gets. Finkley's like 6'2", 280, just rocked up. Osborne's like 6'4", 250, also rocked up a little bit longer a prospect. You're like, man, how, how do they lose games? They don't lose many, but it's it, it's hard to fathom. But when we were watching pregame, it's, it's totally Finkley show on the D-line. But the guy that was at his hip all the time was Osborne, right? He's a year younger, certainly looked up to Finkley, who was like this four-year dominant varsity player, highest level classification in Alabama. And then Osborne was like the guy you would see at their games get in like on third down. And then last year he got in the rotation opposite of Finkley, and he had a great year, and he's, he's blown up on the recruiting trail since. Uh, so I think he's more of a ceiling, long-term, almost developmental prospect compared to Finkley, but it hasn't slowed his recruiting down, like 40 scholarship offers. A lot of schools still trying to get in the mix here. I think Clemson 
could be the biggest challenger to a school like Texas. I know Auburn's trying to keep him in state. Certainly they, they need help on both sides of the ball and, and maybe beyond to a degree. Uh, so that, that's a hotly contested recruitment. But when Texas offered, I, I tapped in with Hunter and I was like, I know they're later to the game, but what's the deal? He's like, oh, I have to visit. I have to visit. So he takes the official visit in June, loved it. Obviously spent a lot of time with Finkley, who's again, like kind of big bro mentor kind of vibes there. Uh, so I think that's a sneaky pick for him. Uh, most people think Clemson, Auburn at the forefront of that recruitment, but but Texas is an interesting dark horse. And I don't think, I hadn't checked in with him recently. I don't think he's ramping up to a commitment just yet. So I think that could be a good thing for Texas because now you extend the recruitment, other schools board starts to fill. I mean, Clemson is loaded on the defensive line already in this class. So you wonder where he stands with the Tigers. Uh, and, and then, you know, if Texas remains high on him, that could be advantageous going forward, even though they were one of the, the most recent schools to jump in with an actual scholarship offer. You talked about uh, Justice Finkley being his big bro. I'm 10 years older than Justice Finkley, and I look, took one look at him. He might be my big bro, too. He might be. Uh, <laughs> Darion Gallet, uh, Dre Bledsoe's former teammate. Uh, talk about him as an edge prospect. Oh, man, he's, he's an interesting linebacker recruit. I, I think he's got an inside-out game to him kind of a tone set, a little old school to me. Uh, I like that. I think he's got some physical ability to win uh, either at the point of contact or he's got some quickness uh, to his game as well. Not the freakiest, twitchiest, most athletic guy, but extremely productive and gets his job done, particularly moving downhill. So I really like where his game is. And, and I'm curious if he starts to jump into schools that have edge prospects already could he move inside or could he be a will type linebacker i think he's got uh, some interesting positional value d depending on the scheme that that he jumps in with and and look uh texas is i think much more of a clear option for him ra rather than uh, hunter osborne where it looks like texas is trying to close the gap this is like not necessarily texas's race to lose it's it's a lot of the regional powers are involved here uh, but Texas has, I think, felt good for a long time. And as time has gone on, that hasn't changed. That's typically a really good sign, particularly with, again, a regional in-state uh, type of recruit at, at another position of need. We're talking talking linebacker edge uh, at this stage of the game. So I think Texas is in a good position. And I think this kid's got a really nice floor. You know, Osborne's all ceiling. Gillette is all floor. Like, Give me what, what he's showing right now. And, and you got a chance to, to get on the field pretty quickly. Continuing the trend of word of mouth recruiting, uh, we got the neighborhood hero in uh, Colton Vasic, uh, Connor Robertson, and Ethan Burke. 2022 Texas commits their former teammate out of Westlake in Austin. Of course, UT is in Austin. What does the neighborhood hero Colton Vasic bring to the table? Uh, he brings a lot. He's he's a balanced edge prospect. I mean, he can win with speed. He can win with power. He counters underneath. Uh, I like his technique in terms of where it's at right now relative to a lot of pass rushers uh, that we scout. And, and look, I mean, Austin Westlake, it's it's one of the programs, right? I mean, it's, it's just one of the ones that you just, if you're picking games on a Friday night and someone calls you and they're like, hey, Austin Westlake's playing insert team, you're probably going to pick Austin Westlake. And it means they're well-coached, they're productive, they've got a lot of talent on top of it, and, and he shines and flashes defensively as much as any recruit we've seen at Austin Westlake over the last few years. So that alone... I think says a lot about Vasek. And then his recruitment's interesting too. I mean, I think most people, because he's from Austin, is like, oh, this is a Texas lock. But 
these Austin Westlake kids go everywhere, including Texas. I don't want to like scare your audience, but you know, obviously Kate Klubnick is is at Clemson. Um, you know, the receiver, great house. If there's a lot of Notre Dame buzz there right now, although Texas is still certainly in it uh, to a degree. So yeah, there's there's no like lock element of Austin Westlake, which is another sign of a really good program, by the way. Unfortunate for Texas, but it's a sign of a really good program where it's not just the local school pulling all the great players. It's like modern day USC doesn't get all those guys. IMG, all those guys don't go to Florida. They, they go everywhere. So I do think that's kind of interesting with Vasek. And I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of regional schools, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, obviously UT in the thick of it. But there's a lot of Oregon talk with him. I know he took that visit. He's got Oregon recruited Texas very well. He's got a buddy who just committed. He flirted about, hey, teammates in the future, you know, just kind of messing with us on social. Uh, there's some Oregon dark horseness in that in that conversation. But I do think he is probably Texas's to lose at this point, especially because of the position of need. I think if he was, you know, a receiver or quarterback, something like that, I mean, I think it could be wide open. But I think because he's a trench guy, an edge guy, and, and that's really the point of emphasis, like you said, J.D., I'd be a little surprised if he ended up anywhere else. Okay. You said, uh, you know, Oregon has a chance with him. They say look good, feel good. The way they be going out there on the field, they got a chance with anybody. They <laughs> come out there clean. All right, we're going to talk about three top 25 prospects in the country that Texas was on the outside looking in right now. First, a quick word from Bet Online because Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's NHL playoffs and Major League Baseball. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. John. You came on before and I asked you the impact of Arch Manning's recruitment. Like, who could be that one big prospect that followed Arch or they got him to flip or maybe, uh, you know, he changed his decision last minute before he committed anything like that. We talked about Jonte Cook, but Jonte likely was a Texas lean regardless. Maybe if Arch goes to Georgia, he goes with him or something like that. But he 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 bled the burnt orange. He, he was a longhorn at heart before Arch even committed. Anthony Hill has Texas in his top two. So. It remains to be seen if the arch impact will work on him or not. So we'll move on from that one. David Hicks, Caleb Downs, and Deuce Robinson all have mentioned Texas in some form or fashion since Arch's commitment. We've heard that David Hicks, his family reached out to Texas to see what they had to offer. We've heard that Caleb Downs talked about taking one more official visit, whether that was to Texas or Texas A&M. And then we heard the Deuce Robinson quote where he said that he already had interest, but with Arch committing, it piqued his interest a little bit more. If they, Who would be the biggest get out of those three for Texas? David Hicks, Caleb Downs, or Deuce Robinson? I think if you were trying to peg it on the biggest get relative to Arch jumping in, it would be Deuce. I think he said it at the Elite 11, because um, look, every other moment at the Elite 11, besides when he was talking about Texas, Everybody was talking about USC. I mean, he was throwing with Caleb Williams and the Elite 11 coaches were like, we might see that in the future. Like, it was not a secret that USC is very much at the forefront of, of, of this recruitment. And look, he's a top tight end out of Arizona. Certainly all of that is understandable, makes sense. Lincoln Riley, tight ends, blah, blah, blah. But when he started talking about Texas, he lit up a little bit in general. And then he threw out Arch. And then he threw out this. He's got family in Austin. So he's he's easily able to get over there and check out the program. Uh, so I do think all of those things together make Texas very interesting. And we would definitely 
put that one on Arch more so than Caleb Downs or or David Hicks, you know, two defensive prospects who were already kind of national recruits on their own. Robinson, a little later to the game, a little bit more regional, you know, he's, he's a West Coast, you know, Pac-12, Big 12 kind of kid. So I do think that it probably ends up being USC or Texas, but Texas has closed a lot of ground here lately. Like the more we peel back the onion in, in talking to Deuce Robinson, uh, who, like what I said about Harrison Pilot, he Deuce did that at the Elite 11. He was just taking the most reps and he was the biggest dude out there. So you could, couldn't really miss it even, even if he tried. Every time he dropped the ball, and, and look, you're catching 100 balls a day, you're going to drop a couple. It's like you would think that this kid's girlfriend dumped him. I mean, he was really hard on himself, but then he picked it back up and got back in line and 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 corrected himself, which is something you like to see. But I think the other two would be bigger gets optically because it's on defense and you're trailing. You're, if you're Texas, you're trailing for those guys. With Hicks, like you said, AM is in it. Michigan State, Miami, he's got a true national list where you could kind of start Oregon is in it. You could start to build kind of a case for multiple teams with Hicks. And I think that means he's doing a good job and or he's got no idea at this point. So I think that would be big for Texas, especially because he is a Texan and he's so coveted literal coast to coast. And I think with Caleb Downs, it's it's very similar. Most, including me, feel like this is a, a classic Saban versus Smart type of battle, big time DV in the state of Georgia. It, it's it's only those two guys. But then, you know, you you expand and it's like he's really interested in Notre Dame and Ohio State. And then his brother plays receiver at Carolina. Uh, and now he's talking about maybe one more official. Again, if you knew where you wanted to go, you'd probably be committed already. So maybe that perceived battle is is we in the industry getting lazy. Well, it's a big time DB. He's from Atlanta, and Bama wants him just as much as Georgia wants him. So it's going to be those two, and that's it. Maybe that's our laziness showing over time, although you know, history is, is on our side there. But he, he keeps pushing this narrative of other programs. So I do think uh, that, that he is open in general. doesn't mean it's Texas, but he's open in general. Um, but it would still be a big deal because optically most see this as, you know, Bama versus Georgia – with a sprinkle of UNC because his brother's there, but his brother's like a first round projection. So his brother's not going to stay there. Uh, so I think that would be a massive get for Texas, even to get the official, because this is head to head with AM, like you said. So even the official, just the plane ticket to Austin versus College Station, I think even that, well, not that you could fly to those two, but even that alone, I think would, would play very well for Texas and its chances because. Now your class is bigger. It's much more notable when these commits come back to school or back to visit the school, their future school. It is a little easier to sell on a peer level. Uh, so I do think those things could help long term with Caleb Downs um, and Hicks obviously is, is already visited. So I think one of those two would be bigger optically. But if we're talking Arch as the catalyst, it's, it's clearly Deuce Robinson. We're going to get you out of here on this. So uh, Texas was dogging Oklahoma in the Red River rivalry. We know ha what happened after that. Um, and we haven't had much to say to them, you know, for the rest of the season than the off season. But Texas in June was going crazy with the recruiting and Oklahoma was doing the exact opposite. And the Texas fans, they were all on Twitter, you know, we this and Lincoln Riley that and Jeff Levy this and Brett Venables that. And then July came. Five. Boom, 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 boom. Oklahoma started heating up. They got Petaway. They got some other players. 
now it's looking like Brendan Venables might really be cooking up there in Norman. So what's your take? Like, what's your vision? What's your view of what Brent Venables is building at Oklahoma right now for the long term? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a longer term play. Obviously, it's, it's not the instant oomph of Lincoln Riley going to USC, right? Well, that was like day of you're like, OK, how many commits are they going to get? Right. You're just like listing out guys. I think with Brent, it's a little bit more of a long term play. Kids got to go there and visit and, and kind of feel on it. Uh, and I think that's what's unique about Oklahoma in general, right? Going up to Norman versus some of these other you know, quote unquote blue bloods. It's just a different type of town. Uh, so I think that plays into who Brent Venables is. Obviously, he's got history there. And, and every year he was like that number one assistant coach that everyone expected to take another job. And he just didn't and he didn't and he didn't. Then he finally did. So I think he could tangibly sell, hey, you know, this is where I want to be. Kind of like Mario Cristobal in Miami, like this is where I wanted to be. I left a really, really good situation to come here. Uh, so I think that just creates trust and benefit of the doubt with the real decision makers, parents, high school coaches, mentors, those who have been around recruiting in the sport just a little bit longer. And then he builds an interesting staff. Uh, obviously, Jeff Levy, we, we know what he did at, uh, at old, I was going to say Ohio State, at Ole Miss as well as UCF, incredibly fast-paced, elite quarterback production, all that stuff speaks for itself. And you pulled him away from Lane Kiffin, which was not easy and not well foreseen by those in the SEC. And then you bring Todd Bates with you from Clemson, who a lot of people, including myself, thought he would just assimilate you know, up the chain now that Venables is gone. But no, he just followed him all the way to Oklahoma. So I think when you start to peel back this, this coaching staff, it's a nice group. It's not the biggest and most well-known names. So you got to get the kids to campus. But once you get them there, I think you got a chance. So I think that's why we're seeing so much positivity in July, because a lot of kids visited Norman in June and we're kind of like, oh, this is much better of an option than I thought it would be. They're going to be well-organized, well-run, and much better on defense, which has really kind of been their Achilles heel forever, it seems like. Yeah, Oklahoma fans, I'll let y'all have y'all moment on uh, July 11th, but on October 8th, we're going to whoop y'all ass. Thank y'all for tuning in to another episode of Locked On Longhorns. Uh, Jonathan Davis, your host, my brother John Garcia, Jr., uh, Director of Football Recruiting at Sports Illustrated. As always, Longhorn Nation, peace.